This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Breaking Labels podcast. I'm so glad you're here for this conversation with Josh. We actually went beyond talking about porn addiction today. Um, We actually start out by talking about Uh, his impression of some reels I made on Instagram uh, about conversations that I have had over the years about being mixed or questions that I encounter Uh, and even also the correct pronunciation of my name which if you do not know it is Rosanna not Rosanna. Um, So we talk about that we do talk a little bit about also one of the biggest pain points for him even though it's not necessarily the most common is people who think that what he did makes him a pedophile or tries to relate that to pedophilia. And that is not at all anything to do with his addiction. And, you know, it was, you know, I thought very vulnerable of him to share that. And we also talked about imposter syndrome and how at various points we've both dealt with that. And I think it's pretty interesting because to me, imposter syndrome is something that is so pervasive to so many people in so many walks of life from so many backgrounds and in so many careers and yet it's this unifying thing unfortunately that so many people cope with or have to to overcome so hope you enjoyed the episode and before we get into it two announcements one uh if you didn't listen to last week last week's episode you should but also i announced that the breaking label store is now up and active online it is the breaking or excuse me www.breakinglabelsstore.com and uh, it's various designs I've created with quotes from the podcast that you'll recognize from the podcast and uh, just inspirational pieces that I've created Uh, and you know there's a little bit of something for everyone you can get a piece that's on canvas or you could even just get a digital print if you like the design but you don't want to spend more than five bucks I hear you and uh, also a couple mugs I've designed. So if you would, are interested in any Breaking Labels merch, that is the place to go. The link will be in the show notes. And the other thing I wanted to announce is I'm super excited because in a couple weeks, I actually am going to be speaking at a uh, Thrive, Excel to Thrive Leadership Summit. I am one of 18 really, really, well, I hate to say my, that I'm really cool, but it, 18 women who are speaking at the summit. It is a free summit. So I am putting a link in the show notes where you can go and sign up if you want to listen. It is a five-day summit from February 21st through the 26th, but it will also be recorded. So if you are working, which I will be too, and you maybe won't be able to catch all of the um, speeches as they're happening or as they're aired, then you can just get the recording and you can watch it at your leisure. So I sincerely hope you go and sign up for the summit. And again, the link for it is in the show notes. And with that, let's get into this episode with Josh. So what are we going to talk about today? What do you want to focus on? Because we talked about OnlyFans, the real trauma. I want to know 
where your Instagram anger comes from, from being called mixed. Oh, no, there's I, no as anger. A, as, as a white guy who, who is a, not a lady, um, um, it, th those two posts you made were a little bit, uh, uh, sounded a little bit angry and a little bit pissed off at the world. And uh, mm -hmm. like, like people asking you questions about your ethnicity. Have you had to deal with that your entire life? And does it bother you? It, it depends like it on how it's you. asked. Why? Because sometimes it's asked out of sure curiosity, which is fine. Because I, I have the exact same curiosity. But sometimes it's asked with almost a layer of assumption that because I don't look like someone or like because I don't look like my dad, I must not be from here. And that bothers me. So it's about not being an American? To some People extent you're from a different country or, or I don't again wouldn't mind that if it weren't the way that some people act about people not from America wouldn't so, probably bothered me as much it didn't so never you, bother me when I was a kid but it wasn't until I became an adult and understand stood some of the innuendos that come with it not with so everyone but okay but but you can tell with some people it's a qualifying question for whether I mean, they're going to like you or not I mean it depends on, again, it depends on not usually what's said, but how it's said. Have you ever given a false answer to one of these people who are asking not nicely to see what their response is? Because you know what the response is when you tell the truth. If right. you were to go in another direction with it and say, oh, I am 100% Mexican and my parents smuggled me across the border <laughs> when I was six and I still don't have my papers. I mean, what would the, what do you think you'd get a different reaction? Who knows? And I get different lines of questioning depending on yeah. race. When I ran my magazine and we uh, located our office in the downtown area of, of the city that we were in, um, there was a huge influx of immigrants from Africa. Most of them were from Somalia. Mm -hmm. And so these people, every black person who moved to our town from Africa was just called the Somalians. And it wasn't until moving our, our office down there that I learned there was like six different groups. You had the Ugandans, you had the Sudanese. And as it turns out, they all hate each other. This huge rise in like gang violence and in, in, in violent crime in the city but it's almost always in between these factions that were warring back in Africa. And people talk about how this, you know, oh my God, look at the violent crime rate. And, you know, this must be, this must be the Somalis doing this against the white people. And <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's the Sudanese against the Ugandans and the Ugandans against the, you know, the, the people from Nigeria and the people from Chad going against... And it's just, it's people who just make assumptions. And uh, mm -hmm. it was, I remember one of the things that, that I, I feel some of the most regret about is I would go to sell advertising to some of the bigger uh, clients we had. I, I let the salespeople do the smaller ones, but like the local hospital had like a, a $40,000, $50,000 account with us. So I'm going to go as the publisher, I'm going to go and show up there. But then I would sit down with some of these, you know, top corporate people in, in central Maine, and they would say something 
utterly racist, just like floor you racist. Like, I can't believe you've ra you've gone up to this level of, of in your professional career thinking like this. And it was always one of those things where I, I never knew if I should speak up and I usually didn't. Mm -hmm. And now 10 years later, it's like, dude, that's not cool that, you know, you can't just be against racism on your own. You have to actually be anti-racist and you have to call people out. And, uh, and that's one of and those it's things. Hard. That... It's hard. And especially if you're in a situation where that person is a client, because I've dealt with that a long time because I don't look like most people assume a mixed person would look. So the conversations and the crap I've heard, especially when I was in Northeast Florida, right around the time Trayvon Martin was killed yeah. and people were saying, oh, it wasn't a race thing. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm hearing these conversations. I'm seeing the eye rolls over a child being murdered. Yeah, it is a race thing. And I just had to kind of sit there and take it and pretend like it didn't bother me because it's like, well, I either feed myself or I'm the angry ethnic woman in this room full of older white men. And it's like, well, I guess I'm just going to swallow my pride and keep it moving. Well, you, I guess you there is some anger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just said something interesting that you are not what a mixed person looks like. What well, does what does a mixed person look like? What do you think? I mean, if, if I come at you and ask you what you are or anything like this, um, and, and, and like I said, you just said you believe that you are not what a what people think a mixed person looks like what do you think those people believe a mixed person looks like ironically most people assume that a mixed person looks more one or the other right a lot of times especially because and, and i haven't another part of the conversation which i kind of touched on yesterday was which parent is black because the assumption is that it's a black man white woman because that is really? the most common that tends to I guess be the most I guess common. yeah I guess that that is that is the more common group yeah. but so when I say it's you know white dad black mom there's a, you can like sometimes see the like when people don't realize that their face says what they're thinking <laughs> and they're like what the oh yeah oh huh so what's that like and it's like it's not like anything else like what is it like for you to have two two parents like but it's it's just always amazed me all the little like, but it, I mean, I guess we all do it. I do it too. But so to answer your question, I think I look like a mix of my parents. Like if you see my mom and dad, I am truly a mix of them. You know, maybe depending on the time of year, I might look more like my mother's child than my father's, but <laughs> I'm a true mix. But the assumption is that because of the name Rosanna, and the hair. Well, why didn't Why didn't you just go with Why didn't you just go with Rosanna? Why don't you just Americanize it? Let me ask, let me. And I'm not trying to sound racist here, <laughs> but if you're if you if you, I mean, do you do you not like people asking you? Do you not like this label? I mean, it seems oh. like you would you would Americanize your name if this really bothered you, or See, is it I that the thought that um rosanna or rose or that rosanna was more americanized i only say it that way because that's how my parents have always said it but most of my family says rosanna i kind of actually wanted to go on a tirade about that like that's not my name rosanna is not my name rosanna is but i've had so many people like when i correct them get very like oh i'm sorry and it's like well i just have a preference for the way my name is said i'm not attacking you i would just prefer it be pronounced rosanna than rosanna 
but I know it's interesting. I never thought of it as Rosanna being the Americanized version though. Yeah. But never I mean, occurred he, to me. That, that was actually my first favorite song of all time when I was a little kid was Rosanna by Toto. I know that is a catchy song. It I, I really can is. almost forgive the fact that they say it incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand. I understand. Maybe they're no. from Canada. You know, who knows? <laughs> um, um, and I it's a far, it's, it's a far superior song to Africa. I know everybody likes Africa, but Rosanna is a far superior song. I like that. You know what's funny is I interestingly enough, like in high school, I remember people always comparing my name to Roxanne by the by the police. And it's like, does anybody know that that really? song's about a hooker? It, like nobody like really sang Roseanne yeah, until the, I was the red, much the red older. light gives it away. Right. Which I yeah. didn't get that until I was older. I was like, right. why does everybody right. sing that song to me? Roxanne. I'm like, that's not my name. And that's you've never awesome. gone you've never gone by a nickname, Rose, Rosie. I go by Rosie. Because okay. especially if somebody well, why not why not Rose? <laughs> well, I'm just saying that's the wouldn't that be the Spanish version? I don't know. Did you know, interestingly enough, Rosanna is actually not a Spanish name. What is English it? or it's an English origin, but apparently only Spanish speakers have adopted it yeah. <laughs> and run with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, Jesus is the Americanized version of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it, it, it's that way. So anyway, I was just curious about that. And I like that. I like I like breaking labels, too. Mm -hmm. I see that. And, and you just seem so pissy on Instagram this week that I wanted to know what the deal was. Well, that lets me know I need to re not redo them, but oh, think you don't of how have to read. I didn't actually do yourself. them pissy. I actually did them because I think they're funny and it's silly. Oh the conversation. No, that it's, come. it's, it sounds really resentful, especially that second <laughs> one you did, but, but I think that's good. Um, um, you were outside, I think on that one. Mm -hmm. Um, and no, but I think it's, I think that's great because I think you need to share your, uh, who you are on Instagram. I think that's, you know, you can't really do that on LinkedIn <laughs> and, and Twitter is just really for insulting other people. Um, <laughs> and Facebook is just for sharing, you know, your political beliefs on Instagram. It seems like that's the place where you can be a visual artist. And mm -hmm. that's why I'm loving that. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fairly new to both Instagram and Twitter. And I am loving the stories. You know, I love sitting up at night and just making goofy short videos and finding music to put to it. And, right. and, 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 you know, not many people look at them, but it's like, I'm a friggin' artist. Look at what I'm doing. I'm, I'm Scorsese here. I don't know. This is, is there, I gotta submit this for a short film Oscar. Do they have a 15 second category? Cause this is brilliant stuff. And that's, I mean, and that's, that's what I like. And I figure while I'm pushing all the uh, pornography stuff and, and betrayal <laughs> trauma stuff, you know, people need to get to know you. I, I'm, I'm not going to listen to your show unless I know you and I feel mm -hmm. like I can relate to you. I mean, that's why, news anchors stay in the same place for you know 30 years Ugh, that's never appealed to me staying in the same place for 30 years no yeah but you know what the thing is though then you you pop out a kid or you get a little bit of extra money at your job or you you know find the love of your life and they 
you know, have their feet in cement and you can't drag them anywhere. <laughs> and, uh, and then it just happens. And then you, you end up getting stuck in Maine where we just got freaking six inches of snow and six inches of sleet. And you're a lazy piece of crap like me who doesn't like to snow blow the driveway. So you're realizing after this podcast, you have to go do that. So you're hoping <laughs> it's a, you're hoping it's a six, seven month podcast. So the, the sun will come out in May or June and take care of it. So I don't have to. That's how I feel about it. I, but I will say though, I have always had that as a qualifying question on dates before I, I started dating my, my boyfriend, like with anybody I would date, like, are you interested in travel? Are you interested in staying in the same place? Because I knew that was not going to be for me. And I, it's like, if that's not for somebody and else, yeah. cool. But if I want to date you, I know the answer is, oh, yeah, I love to travel. Oh, you'd because be surprised. Nobody asks, nobody asks be... well, that's just moron guys. Nobody asks that question to get the answer, no, I like to stay in one place. <laughs> you know, you you would never ask that if 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 you wanted to live where you are the rest of your life. So if I want to date you, the answer is, oh no, I don't want to stay here. I love to travel. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what I really think. It always comes out. Of course the truth comes out. I told my wife, I didn't like the Boston Red Sox when we got married or when I, when I met her and it's my largest friggin' tattoo now. Um, (laughs) Turned out I wasn't telling the truth because I could tell she hated baseball because she told stories about how her father would, you know, fall asleep on the couch watching baseball and she still couldn't change the channel. Mm-hmm. And so she had some PTSD or something over the Red Sox. So I rec- I recognize the early answer was, no, I don't like the Red Sox. <laughs> and, and it turned out I did. Um, and she was so far deep into it at that point, she couldn't. She couldn't get out of the relationship just for that. <laughs> Pick and choose your battles. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Well, that's, that's the thing. The After 17 years of marriage, um, yeah, 17, uh, that's what I've learned is that you really have to learn to let a lot of stuff go. And there will be things about the other person that, boy, they are just, you know, hard to respect, hard to like, hard to do. And, 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 but you, you let it go. You know, uh, I have to hear the chime of the find my iPhone on her, on her iPad every day, four or five times. I have, I have never once used, never once used find my iPhone. I've never used find my iPhone. I know where, look, it's, here's my iPhone. I know where my iPhone is at all times. So four or five times a day, she has to do it. But she and, and it makes me oh my goodness, you know. At, at some point, I have to watch for bigger red flags. But <laughs> okay, you lose your iPhone five times a day. Maybe if we just got together, that would really frustrate me. But it's it's almost comical now. And so I say at some point, you kind of have to laugh at it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like. Just, eh. There was, I, and I forget, I'm going to butcher it, the story. So I'll just do my own little like shortened version of it. But I'd read something where in order to avoid going crazy by the sound of something, you have to come to love it. And it was like, I think it was actually talking about somebody in, in, um, that was a hostage or like, um, was in prison 
and they had to come to love the sound of this dripping. That's what it was. There was this incessant dripping and they had to come to love it and think of it as this beautiful piece of music in order for it to not drive them crazy. But I feel like we do that all the time with things, whether it's little things that are loved ones do like where you you have a choice, right? You can either let that drive you crazy four times a day, or at some point you can just hear the ding and just start chuckling to yourself. Well, wonder where it's going to show up this time. Is it in the fridge? Is it on the couch? Like where'd it go? Right. Right. Is it in her hand? I'm curious. What is, okay. uh, Two questions. One, what is the most annoying question that you get about the addiction in particular and two well now i already forgot what the second one was <laughs> wow oh what is so the most great. offensive question that you get offensive question or statement uh well the most offensive question is am i mixed no. <laughs> um, <laughs> um um the most annoying question, and it, it, it is in a roundabout way, does have to do with porn addiction. And now that I can kind of pick and choose what I'm doing, I tell people up front, and I don't remember. Um, hold on one sec. My wife just wants to know if I'm alive, and because I didn't tell her I was doing a podcast this morning. So I had to text her and tell her that I am. Um, anyway, um, the most annoying question is the first question most people will ask, which is, can you tell us about yourself? And it's like, I've, I've, I've written freaking three books. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you about myself, but do you want to talk during this podcast? Because I can go for hours talking about myself, and 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 I don't even have to talk about porn addiction. I just get off on talking about myself, <laughs> and, and and so I, I hate that one because tell us about yourself. Okay, do you want me to tell you about my addiction? Do you want the short version? Do you want the long version? What tell us about yourself is a dumb ass question. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it, it also sort of says to me that you didn't do your homework. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, tell me questions I should ask. And there were a lot of podcasts. Not, I'm not getting as many now, but probably uh, at one point, a third to half the podcasts I was getting were like, can you send me 10 questions? Oh, yeah, you told me that. That's oh, crazy Jesus. to me. You know, that, 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 it's like. I don't know why you're doing this. So that, that, that's, that's a little bit offensive in just like, Hey, uh, I have a podcast and I put no effort into it. Will you come and talk on it? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you should either do a podcast because you are curious about people or because you want to take over the world. Those are the only two reasons to start a podcast. And, and I think they're both valid. um, But a lot of people don't seem to fall into either of those categories. Um, most offensive question I get, um, it bothers me, and this is, this is I've never actually said this on a podcast, it really offends me when people, I tell people that I unfortunately talked to a teenage girl in a chat room um, I didn't necessarily know she was that age, but it doesn't really matter because it's, it's illegal. It's not cool. No matter what there's that, there's that line, 18 years old, um, for them to then in like the next sentence, talk about that. Have you had a problem with pedophilia your entire life? 
And I've only been asked this. I've been on over 200 podcasts. I've probably only been asked this about six or seven times, but it's very offensive because, well, but the thing is, that's why I always follow it up with the story of my wife asking if it involved little kids. Um, And I, I told her no, because that almost is a way of snuffing out that question. Um, Mm -hmm. or snuffing out anybody saying that because people um, don't know what pedophilia really is. I think they think it's, it's being attracted to or having Mm -hmm. sex with somebody under 18 and it's not, it's prepubescent um, people. If you are into boys or girls who are prepubescent, that is what pedophilia actually is. And pedophilia isn't abusing them. Pedophilia isn't having sex with them. It's having the attraction to them. Which, okay, I didn't know that. I didn't know that's yeah, what the term actually meant. Yeah, yeah, which nothing. I didn't know that's what it meant until people started calling me that. And I told my therapist and she's like, okay, well, here's what it really is. Um, and, and, and that that is offensive because that's the kind of label that you can't pull off very easily. Mm-hmm. And that's not who I was. Uh, that, you know, I, there were a lot of things that are true about my story but that I have learned, I can't say, I can't be the messenger. I can't tell you. I, I, and I'll tell you here. Um, when I looked at when, when I was looking at this girl, I didn't know she was underage. Um, I didn't, you know, that didn't get me off at all, but she was also really pretty and mm-hmm. she looked 26 and, you know, and, and, and I thought she was and people, Oh, well, if you're attracted, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's just frustrating because people moralize it mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, it was an addiction. Um, it didn't involve, you know, little kids. And you're throwing a word around that while society may have a definition for it, uh, your definition is incorrect. And you're putting a label on me that mm-hmm. I can't shake off. I mean, here's, here's the reality. We don't know if OJ Simpson did it we weren't there. Mm. We don't know if Michael Jackson touched those kids. We weren't there. Mm -hmm. But as a society, we've all agreed OJ Simpson is a murderer and Michael Jackson touched kids. But we don't know we weren't there. And Mm -hmm. you get that you get that label on you. I mean, look at and and I know this will air a few weeks later, Marilyn Manson was accused by Evan Rachel Wood in the last couple days of being, you know, a a, a abuser. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rose McGowan came out and said, well, he never abused me and she was with him for several years, but I believe you. And then, uh, and then, uh, Marilyn Manson comes out and says, I never did this. So am I supposed to believe Evan Rachel Wood because she is the victim, Mm -hmm. but his former girlfriend said nothing ever happened. Mm -hmm. And he said nothing ever happened. And I wasn't there. So I don't want to label him an abuser. I mean, I, aside from the fact I like his music, um, I don't want to label him an abuser because I think that isn't fair. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe I have that perspective because of what I went through. Right. Um, but I don't, I, I believe victims. I know there are a lot of scuzzy men and women out there mm-hmm. um, who who abuse their power and have issues with with power and abuse uh whether that's physical or sexual or mental um but i really don't like to jump to a conclusion 
about somebody because I have had it done to me so much. And I guess that's, that's the most offensive part of doing the podcast is when I can tell somebody has jumped to a conclusion about me that's false because it is often so hard to try to turn them around Mm -hmm. um, that it's, it's, you just start hoping that nobody's listening to that podcast. Um, I was about to say, is there, is there a way to turn them around? I mean, I feel like you can't, you can't control that. It's really up to their own openness or lack thereof if, if they can be turned around. At this point, like I said, I, I do vet podcasts. I don't ask to go on any podcasts. Everybody asks me now. So I assume they know my story to a degree. Mm -hmm. Um, and most of the people I talk to now, I don't know if they share my exact politics, but I think they tend to be more open-minded. Um, and like I said, after doing this 200 times, I have developed ways to explain myself immediately um, that, okay, you know, when I, I was caught looking at this, I honestly didn't know. Um, but that, but that is no excuse. And I truly believe that's no excuse. And then when I got in the car with my wife, she asked if it involved little kids and I said, no, of course not. And Mm -hmm. so just sharing that story usually diffuses anything that could possibly happen. And I think that in society, especially now, especially in the last five, 10 years, we understand there's a difference between, a guy like me who made a bad mistake because he was ill and somebody who does have those proclivities of, of being interested in children. And, and they're, they are also sick. Obviously if Mm -hmm. you, if they abuse a child that is messed up and most people who abuse children aren't actually pedophiles. Um, That's oddly enough proven. It's only like 20% who who do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh so it's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's just that, that would be, that would be my bugaboo. And that's always my fear when I tell the story, there are a lot of podcasts that at, at this point don't even get into that story. They want to know more about the pandemic or stats or how people can recognize it. And we don't, I don't get into my personal story as much as I used to. Um, but every time I do, I, you know, even when we were talking about it, the first podcast, I kept waiting to see your face, uh, you know, crinkle or look disapproving or because I just, you know, because that does happen from time to time. And I wait for, for that to happen. And oh, it's, it's, that's an awful but, but, feeling. Well, but the thing is, it doesn't happen 95, 96% of the time. And, and it wouldn't happen if I was interviewing someone that uh, that happened to, I wouldn't. I, even before all this happened, I wouldn't have freaked out mm-hmm. um, because usually there's there's explanations. And I don't think that we should uh, define somebody based on their biggest mistake in life. Um, mm-hmm. So, so uh, that's that's the that's the toughest part. But I think that I've reached a point in my professional speaking career and I should make money if I'm it's a career um I think that I've reached a point where um people know my story enough um to talk to me or people do the research because I'm going on better podcasts um you know I I had a podcast last night write to me and like do you want to come on you know we'd love to tell your story and I looked and the last two guests were like Rick Flair and Charlie Sheen and it's like, what the hell do you want me on your podcast for? Um, I have such a massive 
case of imposter syndrome mm. um, that I, I recovery hasn't taken care of it. The, the uh, bipolar meds haven't taken care of it. Um, it probably is one of the biggest things I struggle with uh, is that I constantly think that I'm faking it or that everybody thinks I'm faking it, everything. I mean, what the hell are you talking to me for four hours for? Come on. Uh, you know, I, I'm nobody. You should have somebody who, who is better, who can help the world. And then people are like, well, you help the world to let you say. Do, do I? Because it, it, it feels like I'm just talking to hear myself talk. And, and so much, I remember, here, here quick story. Um, I was, um, we were having a press conference. I think it was the third year of the film festival we put on. And we started gaining a lot of traction. And the Movie Maker Magazine called us one of the 25 coolest festivals in the country. And we were starting to get national sponsors. And it was becoming actually a really big deal. And we were bringing in that year to get a special award. We were bringing in Les Stroud. He was, uh, he did the Survivor Man TV show for years on Discovery or Science <laughs> Channel. And uh, I mean, just a, he, he kind of invented the reality genre, the, the oh. survival reality genre, where it was just him and a camera. It wasn't, you know, the fake Bear grill stuff or any <laughs> of that. It was this, it, I mean, this was real him and a camera. Um, and so we were bringing him in. So we were going to have him Skype in on this, uh, on, on, at the press conference. And we were also announcing that Patrick Dempsey was going to be coming to the festival because I got a commitment from him. And I do know who that is. I'm sure you do. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and then uh, we, we had the mayor of our town there to Ooh. talk about the, economic impact that the festival did and how you know thrilled they were of it and so we invited the tv networks and we invited our sponsors and we invited these other people and um i went up to make the announcement we had a an mc and i went up to make the announcement that les stroud was going to be the special award winner that year and then i was going to conduct the interview with him on skype and just to get a few questions and i i got up on the the stage we had and we had those you know step and repeat backdrops and everything looked so friggin professional and i'm up there and i look at this audience which is like high level sponsors and and all three channels um all three network affiliates are there and two different newspapers are there and some other you know vips are there and i'm standing there and i'm going did i really build a film festival do all of these people really think i built a film festival i have no friggin' clue what i'm doing from minute to minute and and i i I, I, I guess I technically built a film festival, but what are all you people doing here <laughs> listening to me completely con you into thinking that I have started a film festival and I am running a successful film festival? You're, you're just enabling my con. And, and, and but the but fact is, I can't. You can, had I can, built a film festival. It was a legit, there were films being played there, correct? Like that wasn't a farce. No, no. And we brought in, you know, and these guys came in and we sold out, you know, uh, 500 seat auditorium. And the year before I brought in Don McLean, who sang American Pie for a concert. Oh, and, you know, we, yeah, we, we generated, you know, around half a million dollars for the local economy. And 
but and and I can objectively stand back and say, okay, I am doing this. I did do this. There's plenty of proof I did this. What do I think is fake about it? And, and I can do that objectively, but there are still so many times when I'm like, dude, you don't deserve to be where you are. Or I, I've got this little piece of me that feels like I'm fooling everybody or I'm mm -hmm. conning everybody that this is all an illusion. This is a massive magic trick and mm -hmm. it's all going to collapse someday. And then I, not ironically, I guess, but then one day in 2014, I get arrested. And what happens? The whole friggin' thing collapses. I don't have a film festival anymore. I lost my job. You know, 90% of these people I used to talk to don't want to talk to me anymore. And, and so it's like, was I faking that? Because I don't live that life anymore. I don't do anything in the community. I, I am a ghost um, and it's a different life. So was that a fake life um, versus the one that I have now where I feel less phony, I feel less con man, but those that still creeps in every, every once in a while that, you know, you are, you are playing the part of this, but you are not this. But do you, do you think it's at all possible that you also sort of kind of, I almost hate to use this word because I know people are going to be like, oh, but you manifested that. You kept saying, I'm going to lose this. This isn't real. This isn't mine. Like all these things. But, and then it happened. But I think it comes from when I was young at the end, we did talk about the, the abuse I had uh, when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I developed these survival skills. And one mm -hmm. of my survival skills was just say what you need to do to survive to the next day. And mm -hmm. what, but one of the great things that my parents instilled in me is that I can do anything in the world that I want. Mm -hmm. um, that that's the greatest gift that they gave me. And I've believed that through life. And I've seen people lose that. And that's so sad when people lose that. Yeah. Um, and I've never lost it. I call it the, I don't know if you ever saw field of dreams. Yeah. Uh, I called it the field of dreams test. If you were standing there, would you see the baseball players? Mm. Now I know I would, but I know a lot of people who wouldn't see the baseball mm -hmm. players. And to me, that's the difference between knowing you can do anything, believing anything is possible and being stuck in reality. So I believe I can do everything but I also know that I have this tendency or I had this tendency to lie or manipulate just to survive and just to get by. Now, I, for the most part, I think I've stopped lying. I think I've stopped manipulating. I think I've actually stopped doing that for a very long time, even before recovery. I, I didn't have to do that anymore because I was fine. I survived every day. I had control. And but this still sticks with me that nobody realizes. I think it's one of these things where nobody realizes I'm just this scared seven-year-old kid trying to get by mm -hmm. and doing what I need to do. And I have felt since I was seven or eight years old that everything I did was in service of staying healthy, staying mentally okay, not not feeling my feelings. Empathy is a big deal with me. I've had to work on empathy so hard. Um, oh, to have empathy for to others. To have empathy, to have oh. empathy for it post-recovery. Um, because the thing is, I have, I, much like bipolar, I have two speeds of empathy, off and I on, and I can't stop. Like, mm. I don't want to watch a sad movie at noon 
because if I start crying, I don't stop till I go to bed that night. So I've largely had to turn off empathy. Hmm. Um, and now I'm learning how to do 20%. Now I'm learning how to do 30% um, and, and not lose my shit doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's helping. But I think that um, I think that's also part of where the uh, where the imposter syndrome comes in because I can fake it. And I know when you're supposed to fake it. Sometimes I, I'm not able to. I've said some really stupid shit at funerals. Um, but <laughs> I generally I generally know how to fake it. But I don't want to fake it. I want it to be legit. Because if you're faking it, you're an imposter. And I think that's that's the thing is, that, you know, when when I decided to become this this advocate of types for of uh, for the porn addiction and now betrayal trauma, I didn't know how to do it. I just started. I just started writing to people who have podcasts. You know, I'd spend ten hours a day writing people who have five people watching their podcast, and you know, I'd write to fifty of them, and two would respond with okay. And I thought that was a real successful twelve hour day. Um, that's because I just don't. I I don't read how to do stuff. I don't, you know, I, I, I'm somebody who does things by learning, but doing it, I, I wonder, am I doing this correctly? Is this, is this the, you know, did I, did I take the best route? Am I doing something so wrong? I will never break through to be able to make a living at this because I've done something fundamentally wrong. Am I just fooling myself? Am I faking this for whatever reason? And, and that's, that's something that still sticks with me. I think a lot of people deal with that, though. I mean, I, I know I personally have, but I know especially I, I worked in a sales organization and on my side of it or on the public relations side of it. It was predominantly female. And it always amazed me how many of these high performing women who had these like amazing results. When you would get them one on one, would be like, oh, I'm not special. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't do anything. And it's like you blew everybody out of the water. And all they, they could think are, of all the things that they weren't. Was it legit or was it false uh, humility? No, there are, there were a couple, there was false humility. There were more, more of them. It was just, oh, no, no, I, I, I didn't, I didn't do anything special or, yeah. oh, no, no, no. Everybody already, everybody does what I do. It was like, well, obviously they don't because you're the one that <laughs> won your category. They don't do what you do. And we, we need you to step into what you're doing and to, to embrace the fact that this wasn't luck. This wasn't like lightning in a bottle. You're really good at what you do. And, and I just, and I, and I did, I did it too. I would think, okay, even though I got these results, that was just luck. I, I wasn't because I actually know what the hell I'm doing or I know how to connect with people. It was always, I just got lucky. Okay, here's the podcast thing that really strikes me. And I've actually talked to my, my therapist about this and since you're my de facto therapist now. Um, <laughs> I go on podcasts, I tell my story, um, I do the whole whole spiel. I then almost always have somebody at the end going, well, we want to thank you to, for coming on and you are so brave. What? <laughs> No, no, I'm not brave. What? I, uh, uh, why? Why am I brave? Because I didn't kill myself at some point. 
because of this stuff. I mean, I just, I, I'm doing the only thing I know how to do is mm -hmm. communicate my story. You go back to me being in, I know when I was 20 years old, I got a column in the daily newspaper talking about local popular music. And about half of it was about me. Um, and, and half of it was about popular music, but people really liked it. And then they gave me a regular column. And then, you know, eventually I had my own magazine and I, I can write whatever the hell I want. So I've always written about my life. I've always communicated about my life. It's what I do. So now that I'm doing this, it's a natural extension. Mm -hmm. So I know this isn't brave. This For is you. typical. For me, this isn't brave. This is typical. This makes sense as the next logical thing. So um, th th that is, I, I have learned to say, thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, <laughs> thank you very much. That means a lot. Thank you. And I have such a hard time thanking people when I'm like, that's not, what? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that because we're not going to go down this, this rabbit hole. Well, thank you. And I'm not going to call you brave because I don't want to make Thank it awkward you. for you. <laughs> okay. But I have enjoyed this. I have too. I have too. And I'm actually going to leave the conversation in there about me being mixed because nobody usually turns the table on me. So thank you. Okay. Well, if you ever want to be interviewed for your show, I have actually interviewed like three or four podcast hosts for their own shows. Huh. So, so if you ever want to be interviewed for your show. I actually might take you up on that. Um, I, I can go deeper on this. I'm really good at it. I'm, I'm, I'm a coach. I ask all kinds of personal questions. I'm a, I'm a journalist. I ask all kinds of personal I know. questions. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, it's, 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 it's my natural space. So thank you so much for this. This was so much fun. Hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. One thing I did not cover at the beginning of the episode is that we now have an official email <laughs> for the podcast. So if you would like to be interviewed for the podcast or you have someone that you think would just be awesome uh, and people could get a lot of value from hearing from, please email me at rosanna at breakinglabelspodcast.com. And with that, see you next week. <laughs>